Hello everybody, this is Bruce from Printavo, Simple Shop Management Software here today with our Business Lessons and Learnings podcast. We are uh, joined by Drew Dalton from Real Thread. Uh, Drew, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bruce. So tell us a little bit about your guys' facility, your shop, and where you guys are at right now. Yeah, so we're in uh, we're in a great shop that we kind of built out from scratch, uh, really from the ground floor up. Uh, the walls were existing, but uh, there were was it was other than that, it was just an open slab. Um, and so we've been in that uh, about three years now. It's fifteen thousand square feet in total. Ten thousand of that is our production facility. Then five thousand is uh, kind of between the office, the kitchen, common game room area, that kind of stuff. So um, great facility. Gotcha. So you guys started in 2009 um, up to now. Now, how many people do you guys have? How many team members? And, and where were you guys at last year revenue-wise? Yeah, we have about 30 full-time right now. Um, uh, they're at a few part-time in there, but for the most part, 30 full-time. Uh, last year, we did about just under $6 million in revenue. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, that was up nicely from what, uh, just under 4 million the year before. That's awesome. Where do you think some of that growth came from, from the year over? You know, a lot of it is, is just taking, taking good care of our customers. Um, you know, if you, if you have a good product, good service, um, uh, honestly, like growth should be pretty easy if you, if you have that great a product and service. And so honestly, a lot of it is that I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't say, um, there was any one thing that that did it, but um, if there is any one thing, the the biggest driver would just be you know a great product, great service, taking good care of your customers. Gotcha, very cool. You guys have an interesting website too. Usually, I like to go into the to the background of, of how you guys get started, but uh, the way I actually stumbled upon Real Thread is I I got a random email just checking out uh, something you guys launched on your site, and I went to it and I was like, wow, this is this is impressive. You guys have really invested in this. Walk me through that a little bit. You know, you guys have iterated on your website over a long period of time um, and have really invested in that. Why do you why'd you do that and what do you get out of it? Yeah, I mean, for, for us, we see the website. Uh, it, it, a lot of times it's the first touch point that any customer, prospective customer is going to experience us through. So, you know, the customer experience is, is really what we're all about. Um, and so we see the website as a huge, huge touch point to that experience. And that's why we've invested so heavily in that. And that's why we continue to build on that and iterate um, at such a rapid pace. Now, are you guys seeing a lot of new customers still or, or utilize that for larger orders or smaller orders? Do you see any trends with that or do a lot of them still call wanting to talk to someone first to understand who you guys are? Yeah, it'll be a lot of call um, or live chat. Like that can be, you know, the first touch point. Maybe um, maybe it is just an email. Maybe they find us online. They, they love what they see. They're comfortable and confident in us at that point. But then they reach out, you know, via a contact form, a live chat, or maybe they do call us. And so the, the order may come through that one of those channels, not necessarily online, but um, online, I think, was very influential, hopefully, in that decision. Sure. And that's interesting, too, that you have live chat. Obviously, we do. We want to speak to the customers who have questions right away, but you don't see too many shops have, you know, a tool like that. 
what was the when did you guys decide to do that and do you think it's worth it to allow your customers to be able to reach out right away yeah and you know i think our first live chat widget was um was a long long time ago i mean i remember using olark um very early on yeah. uh I, I would say yeah I, I would say honestly probably 2010 2011 um we had live chat we haven't kept it consistently throughout that whole you know that whole six or seven year period but um, uh, you know, we we took it away for a little while. We brought it back, and and so yeah. Now for the most part, it's here to stay. I think a lot of people don't use it because honestly, it's taxing. It really is to be to be that on call, um, if you will, that available. I think someone's more likely to chat than they are phone call. And so from from a staffing side, you have to be ready for that. Um, uh, just a, a higher volume in live chat than you would in phone calls. So. You know, again, I think that's why a lot of shops don't do it because it is taxing, um, and uh, and and maybe that's just not a core, like a core piece of who they are. You know, maybe that that really rapid response isn't part of how they're building their business. And so, you know, I'm not going to say it's for everyone. Um, for us, it's really crucial in terms of that high touch customer engagement, um, and you know, and what we like to see as a rapid response. But but I wouldn't necessarily say that's it's for everyone. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, we, you know, we definitely have valued trying to go extra and, and be overly available to people. And I definitely see how, like you talk about balancing that with obviously getting work done versus, you know, being uh, uh, overly open to customers and, and where to find that that middle ground. Um, are there other things that you guys do to, to try to be overly available to customers other than just the basics of email and phone and chat? Yeah, you know, we've, we've really, um, we, we really have played with our hours um, and the hours that were available to our customers. And so in general, um, you know, you could just say, hey, we're like we're nine to five, um, eight to five, whatever. But we're on the East Coast, and so if we close down at 5 East Coast time, I mean, goodness, that's 2 o'clock West Coast. And so we do, a lot sure. of, we do a lot of business on the West Coast and have a lot of customers out there. And so if we're not available for them after 2 o'clock their time, then we feel like that, that's a big disservice to them. And so we've extended hours to go all the way kind of 8 to 8 and just be avail- more available. So that's one thing we've certainly done. Do you guys start later then too, or just start the same time early, but also stay open later? Yeah, just stay open later. Um, we we still have an early crew, but then we'll have you know one or two stay stay late. Cool. So Very yeah, cool. that's that's easier to do. Obviously, once you get you know once you have more employees doing the same task, you know we call ours account executives that are working with our customers. So once you have more than one of those, then you can start to stagger their time. If you do only have one. Asking one of them to work eight to eight is obviously pretty challenging. Right, right. So a team of 30, I mean, that's a good size shop. Where, if you think back to when you were getting started, what was your decision when you started to hire the first couple people? When when did you say, okay, we need to, to take the dive into finding someone to help us full time? Well, I, I mean, I think it was just out of necessity um, in terms of, you know, just needing some help. Um I think the first was probably, well, uh, I, I know the first, actually. She's still with us. Um, she's on maternity leave right now, but, uh, you know, she she joined us, I think, in 
I, I want to say I met her on a mission trip over the summer of 09. And then mm-hmm. I think that's when I met her. And then she joined the team, you know, maybe six months later, I, I think. Um, I think those are those dates are all correct. But she may not have joined till two, till 2010. But anyway, she's been here, you know, a good seven years since the beginning. And again, now she works part time and she's on maternity leave and whatnot. But, you know, she her role was first on the customer side. So I kind of ran the customer and the business end of things. Uh, my partner at the time, Patrick, he ran the shop. And so, yeah, thinking about it, our first hire was was Cheryl. And so she was on uh, the, the customer facing side of it, helping customers place orders. Got it. And why did you where did the where did Real Thread come out of? Why did you guys start the business originally? Well, I originally started my first printing business when I was in college and it was just oh, out okay. of op- opportunity. You know, I was on campus. I was really well connected with a lot of organizations on campus. So I knew I could sell them shirts. I was buying a lot of shirts through positions I held on campus. And so, I again, I, I just knew I was networked well enough that I could sell a lot of them. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to screen print um, or really what screen printing even was. Uh, thankfully, my younger brother was at Clemson at the time. He was a graphic communication major, and he did know what screen printing was. So he kind of told me what it was. I then researched and found a company up in Seattle that I could buy equipment from. And if I bought it from, they would train me on it for two days. So I flew up there, trained on the equipment, shipped it back to Orlando. And uh, I think I'd taken, you know, I, I, I accepted a thousand piece order before I'd even had any equipment in my hands. So um, really just went at it. Really? So your first, that was, was you consider that as your first big order? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I remember specifically uh, another buddy of mine was in college um, at the time. He wanted some shirts for an intramural team, and he was up at Indiana University. I said, yeah, no problem. I'll do some, you know, they were like sleeveless tanks. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll do them for you. Well, he gets them, and he tells me the ink washed out of them. <laughs> so my, oh, and they you know, washed all the shirts? Oh, yeah. I, I had undercured them, and I had to print all of his tanks again. Um, luckily, he was a buddy of mine, and so it was cool, but... Oh yeah, I remember. You know, I didn't know what I was doing and undercured those things. Wow. Yeah. No, I remember. I actually did the same. We were running a print shop at uh, our university as well, and yeah, either burn the shirts uh, over or under, and they cracked. And yeah, it was definitely a learning experience as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So. Where did it kind of transition? So you're in school. How did it go? Did you continue this after school as well when you graduated? Or Well, so I started printing about, about a year and a half before I graduated. And then by the time I graduated, I'd accepted a full-time job as a financial analyst um, at a mm-hmm. small tech company in, in Florida. I went and did that for two weeks. And then I decided, hey, this is not for me. I can't sit it behind a desk and you know crunch Excel all day. And so two weeks in, I put it in my two-week notice. <laughs> And at that point, I, I was helping this other business um, in, in Orlando, went and helped them for, you know, nine months and, and then left that and jumped into T-shirts full time. And so, you know, when I did that, I, I said, hey, I want to I want to do this full time. But, you know, there's tons of screen printers out there. I, I need to do something to differentiate us. And so that's when I made a decision to go with all water basin discharge inks. And, you know, we, we made the switch overnight throughout all the plastics all loaded up on water basin discharge. And. That's what we've done since. So that was the summer of 09. Interesting. So talk about that differentiation. Uh, I think other shops could definitely, 
want to pull that and figure out okay how can i be different from the guy you know across town how is that how did you you know use that to to be able to sell more or, or get more clients or grow the business yeah you know i mean you can't be all things to all people um and that's that's hard to to you know come and to realize and and accept i think for a lot of business owners because you know you see people come and and you know they have dollar signs on their forehead you know but they they want something that maybe you're not all that great at so you know that's just one of the things that we've done from the beginning is try to stay really focused um from from day one you know we said it was water-based and discharged t-shirts um and that, that includes you know tanks and hoodies but that does not include you know shorts and pants any kind of embroidery or hats and so from very early on, again, from from the founding that summer, um, that's when we made that decision. We haven't, you know, we haven't swayed from that. Um, we've stayed on course, and that's what we continue to do. And so, uh, again, I mean, do we lose opportunity when it comes to you know upselling customers? Um, you know, uh, hats and polos, and you know, again, embroideries, buttons and pens and koozies. Yeah, totally. Um, do we risk them going somewhere else and, and getting all that stuff somewhere else and then losing their t-shirt business? Absolutely we do, but that's a risk we take to try to be the best at t-shirts. Um, and so every, every dollar and cent and resource and time and focus and energy that we have, we can devote to creating an amazing customer experience around just t-shirts, not mm-hmm. t-shirts and hats and buttons and koozies and pens and polos, you know? Um, that's a lot to focus on. And again, you can't be all things to all people. So, um, focus. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, a lot of shops that we talk to, especially love to, or they, they want to expand horizontally and and be able to handle those different products while you guys have stayed and had incredible growth over, you know, the eight year period or so. Um, you know, and I'm sure you feel it on the, the printing. You know, you feel it building software, right? Um, you know, you want to build you want to build an application that many people can use. You know, from um, from t-shirts to hats to embroidery um, and all this. And so it does it does complicate your system, right? It does make your development time longer or more complicated when you add all these these elements and these variables. And so, yeah, um, you know, you may feel like, hey, you you have to do that, right? Um, uh, to, to serve the audience that you want to serve. But, you know, as the business owner, we can choose what we want to do. Um, realistically, you don't have to do that. You may choose to do that and, and build the product to offer, you know, all these, all these different, you know, pricing calculations and models and, you know, shipping solutions and whatnot. Um, and, uh, again, screen printing and embroidery are two very different things from, you know, what it takes to, um, you know, just how you'll build the system to accept them, um, and and the products that you source, and you know having uh, inventory for thread colors versus ink colors and flashes, and you know anyway they're they're just different, right? And so you have to make decisions um, regarding how you build your platform as a business owner. We have to make decisions: are we going to support all of these things, um, or are we not? And so again, I'm not saying one's right or wrong. They're just they're true decisions that have to be made, and. There's there's always a cost benefit to those those decisions. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that's very interesting. So, what was one of the first pain points that you can remember 
when you're kind of scaling from that initial couple people size to maybe say that the, the 10 person hey <laughs> hey buddy you want to say hi now <laughs> um so the pain points you said from uh from like one or two to ten right right um Oh my gosh. I mean, honestly, I was, I was a first time entrepreneur. Um, I was a first time like leader manager. I'd never managed a, you know, any number of people, honestly. Um, so I screwed up a lot. Um, and, and trust me, like I wasn't the best leader manager, um, anything. Yeah, buddy. No, he's at a different office. Okay. I'll be a few minutes then we can play. Okay. So, um, anyway, I have three boys, so they're running around somewhere. Um, so, uh, you know, in terms of the, the pain, I mean, I think a lot of it is, is communication, um, and, and enabling them to do their jobs well. Um, honestly, I go down to the system that they're operating in, um, is huge Mm -hmm. and is so, so crucial. So, um, uh, man, I mean, not meaning to plug something like you, but, if you can if you can give your team the resources that they need from an information standpoint and really make it clear to them the job that they have to do and make that easy automate as much as possible to take the brain power out of a lot of what they do let the machine do what a machine can do and let a human do what only a human can do um, and so you know a human can certainly um, talk to a potential customer in in a much more authentic and, and loving way than what a machine can mm-hmm. okay I'm not saying that a machine can't do it but um, but uh, that's just something that that we're, we're choosing not to automate right but in terms of how something is priced okay there's no sense in in making your team your salespeople crunch these numbers do these manual calculations when a machine can do that so much more efficiently um, and and sure. really effectively than what a human can. So, you know, um, our early systems, I mean, trust me, it was whiteboards and it was um, Google Docs, Google Sheets, you know, for POs. And it was, you know, it was not elegant, but it got the job done, right? And, and it, let us, it let us move into the next phase, which was certainly bringing in a, a system. Um, and, and that really helped from an employee standpoint and um, started to, to reduce some of the pain. So if you would go back to that period, what what would you do over again to be like, man, I messed this up. I could have done a way better job doing X. Well, I mean, realistically, I probably wouldn't change much just because what it taught us um, in, in terms of what we went through. I, I wouldn't change yeah. that experience, you know. Um, but looking back, um, uh, I, I mean, I would build I would build a system earlier. Um, you know, we built a proprietary system, right? But we didn't start that way. Mm-hmm. We went we went from you know Google Sheets to a FileMaker app to our own proprietary system. Uh, that proprietary system did w- uh, wonders for us uh, in terms of the things that we would allow it. We could build it to do. Um, you know, and and so I would probably do that earlier. But um, uh, but just any system, right? I mean, any system is more is, is generally better than Google Sheets. Um, uh, yeah. Google Sheets yeah. is a step up from a legal pad, but um, 
uh, aside from a legal pad, um, you know, anything's better than, than probably working in Google Sheets. Yeah, we, uh, we have a lot of shops that we definitely work with that are kind of starting to get into that phase. Even some as big as 20 people that are still kind of like job boards and, you know, and, and that's just what they've been doing. Um, so helping them make that transition is, is, uh, is, it can be difficult, but it, they want to, it's just, you know, that the, maybe the, the feeling a little bit scared since we've been doing this for five years type of emotions. But so do you guys have developers on staff too? We do. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have one full-time developer, then one part-time. Very cool. Yeah. That's interesting. I, we, we do talk to shops that have wanted to try to build it and or their own tool um, and are not totally have an idea of where to start, but they, um, they're like, we're trying to do everything. Um, you know, and, and that is kind of one of the things I do tell them is it's not just the initial build, it's the maintenance, it's the long term, it's, it's the changing it and, and all that that has to be managed. But um, oh, yeah. So that's neat. So, so from the website front end side, does that connect to the back end side too? Yeah, it does. Yep. Very cool. Now your uh, your your son popped in there. He's a pretty cute guy. He, I'm curious. A lot of other shop owners too have have families or, or girlfriends, wives, things like that. How do you balance that from early on to now? Um, work versus versus uh, home and family responsibilities. Yeah, you know, it, it, it changes. Um, and it just depends. For, for me, it just depends on like, kind of what's required of me at home. Um, and, you know, I started when I started the business, I didn't have any kids. And, and so I, I worked a lot more or, or just for longer periods of time, probably straight, you know, um, I, I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. I lived at my shop for a short period of time. Um, there wasn't a shower there, but there was a gym across the street. And so every morning I went to the gym and I, a lot of mornings I didn't even work out, but I would still be in there showering, you know, because um, literally right across the street was a gym. And so, you know, when you live at the shop, I mean, I didn't have a TV there. What else was I going to do, you know, other than other than work in some form or fashion? And, and honestly, like there's a season for that, you know, and, and I'm not even going to call that unhealthy. Um you know, if you have a family and three kids at home and you're doing that, now that's unhealthy. If you're if you're single and don't have serious obligations outside of you know taking care of yourself, honestly, then then do it. You know, again, I think there's a season for everything. Um, so, but again, you know, as I got married, had kids right away, um, the demands at home become uh, become greater, and so then you have to shift some time and and ultimately like. You know, I think it, it just it, it forces you to be a better leader, really. Um, you know, there's Parkinson's law, which basically says, you know, work expands to fill the time allotted. And so if I give myself, you know, um, it, again, early days, right, if I give myself 18 hours a day to work, well, then I'm going to take 18 hours to kind of do what really needs done, what's most important. If I only have 10 hours to do that, well, I'm going to figure out how to do the most important things in 10 and offload the others, right? Um, and so anyway, I think ultimately just constraining your time actually does make you, uh, a better, a better leader and manager as you become more focused and have to only do what you are most valuable doing and realize, Hey, you can offload and delegate some things that someone else can do just as well as you are, or in a lot of times even better. 
Yeah, gotcha. Oh, now as far as delegating and hiring, uh, where do you, how do you find some of your staff and um, of varying skill levels too? Is it posting online? Is it just referrals internally? Yeah, I mean, we, we've been really blessed in terms of just friends. I mean, friends of friends really goes a long way. And to, for the most part, um, I don't know that we've totally exhausted that network. Um, maybe at 30, maybe we're, we're, we're starting to get there. I don't know. Um, but honestly, a lot of it's been friends of friends. I mean, if you take care of your employees, just like you take care of your customers, your customers are going to tell other customers, right, that, hey, you're a great place to do business. If you take care of your employees, your employees are going to tell other potential employees, hey, this is a great place to work. And so um, the recruiting, you know, for, for most roles shouldn't necessarily be all that challenging. Gotcha. Hi, and what are some specific examples of things you guys do to make sure that people are taken care of other than compensation? Yeah, I mean, compensation is honestly a pretty small part of it. Um, you know, we were really intentional in terms of when we when we built our current building, when we were building that out, uh, obviously, we've always had this office versus production like kind of battle, right? And And I think most shops can probably feel that. So we did everything that we could to kind of bridge that gap and be intentional with bridging that gap. So obviously, there's a huge concrete wall that separates our production facility from our office. Well, we put $10,000 worth of windows in that wall. Um, and trust me, when the contractor told me those were $10,000 windows because of the headers <laughs> and stuff that were needed, honestly, sure. like this thing was already over budget. And it's, I, I was very close to cutting those out. I really thought about it. And, and then the architect says, hey, he goes, remember why you put those in there, okay? And then that was all I needed to say, okay, it's a well-spent 10 grand. Um, so that's just one thing that we've done to try to intentionally bridge that gap between office and production. Um, then, you know, the office or the, the kitchen area, you know, we've got, uh, you know, uh, Nintendo and ping pong and that kind of stuff. And so the kitchen, we stock our kitchen. And so that was intentional in terms of the, that's the one kind of community place where both like office and production teams will gather. They'll be there for lunch, break bread together. And so, and that just helps build those relationships um, and that ultimately is going to make a more efficient and effective organization if we can get those relationships built. But, um, you know, it's it's tough. And honestly, we had to be very intentional with it. And we were fortunate that we were able to do that through uh, a build out that the building supports that. Yeah, that's very cool, especially being very focused on trying to make sure you have one cohesive organization. Were there any other things that like the windows and the kitchen layout? um were there any other things that you that you guys purposely did to to try to keep that glue and keep everyone together? Yeah, like I said, stocking the kitchen so that people gather there. Um, we do a Friday cater, catered lunch every week, uh, so every you know that's a that's a time for everyone to kind of gather, you know, have a nice meal um, mm -hmm. together, and then we do some kind of company updates and whatnot, announce things that are you know crucial conversations or or just critical communication at that point too when we have everyone together. So that's a big, like, open, collaborative feedback time between everyone in the company. So that's really helpful. Um, we just, uh, to kick off the new year, we went on a cruise together and went to the Bahamas for a couple of days. Really? So, yeah, so the that was pretty team. awesome. Yeah, yeah, the whole team. Everyone was invited. Not everyone went because some had, you know, other obligations or they were pregnant, had, you know, babies do whatever, and they couldn't travel. But 
Um, for the most part, everyone went, and we took a videographer, so you can check that out. It's on, there's a video of it on our blog, um, and kind of a blog post that I wrote in terms of why we went on a com- company cruise, and then a few things that we learned too. So um, you can check that out, and there's uh, some some good pointers for other companies that would like to send their companies on a cruise because a cruise is an awesome thing to do as a company, and um, uh, for a number of reasons. And so I kind of outlined those in the post. Really? So do you, do you blog a lot? I don't. No, I'm not a writer, man. <laughs> I read a lot. I don't okay. write a lot. <laughs> okay. I was just curious. And so does your team or that was just like kind of a, an occasional thing? Yeah. Yeah. Our, our team does. So, you know, we'll try to, we'll try to blog just for content, um, and, and just share thoughts, feelings, news, whatever it may be. But I personally don't blog a whole lot. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, was there any other, um, Actually, you know what? I want to hop into where your like your company is now, and where you feel like things are going to be going this year and next year. Um, maybe things you're planning for, or looking out for, or things that worry you, anything like that. Yeah, um, goodness, man. I, I mean, a, a lot of it is is you know this what we've done to have success to this point. Um, is just kind of building on that and more of that, right? Um, there's kind of a line out there that says what got you here won't get you there, um, which I, I want to be I want to be like you know cognizant of and realize that hey we can't just we can't just lean on our, our previous previous successes, but at the same time there's some really like core fundamentals to those successes in terms of a great customer experience um, and taking care of our team, and so we're going to be doing more of that. Now, the, the tactics that we use in terms of how to execute that, you know, those are maybe to be determined or those will change over time. But in terms of like what we as a company will be doing, um, I use the saying like more of the same. And, and by that, I mean, you know, just taking great care of our customers and our team. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, maybe what's one piece of advice that you would give another shop that's Maybe seeing you and be like, man, okay, we got to shoot for for what these guys are doing in a couple of years. Like, this is our our goal here. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the the big thing is like decide what you want to be known for, um, and then again, like like wholeheartedly commit to that. Um, so that will that will force you to make really hard decisions in terms of if we're gonna be this, if we're gonna be you know A, that means we're not you know B. And, and making those choices is really, really difficult. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a book that I love, Blue Ocean Strategy. And if you would go through and kind of match, or, you know, or map out your strategy canvas um, and, and what you want to be known for um, uh, versus your com- maybe your competitors, that's just a really helpful exercise to say, hey, they're known for this, we're not going to be. They're not known for this, we're going to be. And so, again, just making those really intentional decisions that will help. That will help really help empower the entire team to make decisions around the, that core focus of who you are going to be, and just as importantly, who you're not going to be as a company. Got it. Perfect. Are you reading any good books now, or following anyone interesting? Oh man, I, I mean, I, I read I read a lot um, in terms of um, man in terms of right right now. Like I just uh, just read one that I that I really enjoyed called "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck." Um, that okay. was a really, really enjoyable read actually. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good points in that. Um, you know, and, and, and he, he touches on some of that too, like choosing, 
you know, it, this is a, this is a book very like personal based. It's not a it's not necessarily a business book, but he mentions mm-hmm. in there choosing who you're going to be and who you're not going to be um, as an individual. So I think the same applies to companies and businesses. Businesses have to choose who they are, and again, just as importantly, who they're not. Sure. Awesome. Well, Drew, I really appreciate uh, uh, giving these these tips here. I definitely think someone could find this useful out there. So, again, I appreciate the time. You guys are going through some nice weather. It's, it was snowing here yesterday in the middle of March, um, which is crazy. But anyway, that that's crazy. another topic. But, cool. uh, again, thank you again. Yeah, it was great to be here. Great. Thanks for having me. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, thanks, man. All right, bye. Okay, see ya.